Welcome to the Word of Truth. This is Doug Presley. It is 11-27-2022. We're continuing where we left off in our service with the thought of the week and prayer. All right. At this time, we'll have the thought of the week. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. When the Father decided to create one new man, he took from the existing designations of humanity, Jew and Gentile. He made something he declared to us as new, even though he used existing material to do it. You can trace your ancestry to either Jew or Gentile. If you find some pride in your heritage in this area, then you may need to be reminded of Paul's resume. Circumcised on the eighth day and of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. This information is given to us to help us understand the proper attitude toward these points of human pride. To turn our backs on these points of pride is to turn to the new that God has made of us. In fact, we must go even further than turning our backs. We must get to the point. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. The way, the only way Paul would disavow any relationship to his past is that he saw who he is in Christ. Seeing who we are in Christ leaves us no room for our past to compete with the present reality. It is essential that we first see what God did so that our minds can be focused on God's reality. Only then will we be willing to dispense with the previous titles and designations in Adam. God made man out of the dust. However, man is so much more than dust, and we are so much more than Jews and Gentiles. Because certainly all of those who have believed in Christ in this dispensation truly are a new creation in Christ Jesus. So we know that the, the Gentiles, they were without God in the world. And even the Jews, whom God had chose to uh, re-evangelize the world, we're so much more than even them. Being in Christ, being of this new creation, we don't know what we shall be, but we shall be just like him, him who created all things. So at this time, Amen. we'll have Dwight with prayer. Thank you very much, Bill. All right. Um, I will pray on behalf of our church, church worldwide, and our families extended and immediate. Um, is there any other particular um, prayer subjects that you want me to bring up? Well, just the Haddon family that we had discussed earlier, so. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> okay, and 
I would like to bring up um, Deborah's father in Hintel. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, let me go ahead and um, pray, and God knows what is on our hearts in addition to what is spoken. Let's bow our heads. Dear Father in heaven and in us, we thank you so much for what you have provided us through Jesus Christ and baptizing us with, with the Holy Spirit, so that we have these treasures and wisdom given to us in the face of Christ. And thank you for revealing to us your plan, the detailed plan that you have given us through the spirit of truth, who searches even the deep things of God. I pray in, on behalf of Warriors Truth Christian Church, those who are on the call now or those who are affiliated with the church um, or those even listening to the recording, um, wherever you may be, may these words be a blessing to you. And may you understand the richness and the abundance which, um, right, which God has given to us in Christ, choosing us before time began. And I pray also for the church worldwide, which is the body of Christ. And that body is made up in such a way that it is an essential, essential ingredient in the, um, in, the, in the fact that God is bringing many sons into glory. And we are counted among those who have put our faith and trust in Christ for our soul's salvation. We are also reminded through this taken holiday in the United States of Thanksgiving that we are always thankful in our hearts at all times for the great wisdom and treasure you have given to us. And may that expression of our thankfulness be seen by others so that we, so that they know uh, that we are thankful to God and that they too can turn to Christ and be saved and grow. Um, pray also for our immediate families and extended families, and in particular, uh, bring up the Hayden family and with what is going on with um, uh, the pastor's sister, or the pastor's niece, his sister's daughter, and you know the uh, the trouble that is being experienced in the world, not only by her and her family, but um, others around the world. It is a tough place to live, Father, but you've given us um, opportunity to live and breathe with the fact that we are new creations in this world. And let us always be mindful of that. And we, we lift up the Hayden family for comfort and for healing. Mm-hmm. And likewise, I pray for Deborah's father, and that he too may be healed and uh, restored to his full health, um, which is currently trying, trying, to, trying to be met with medication, but sometimes it just seems like you need a bit more. Now uh, we ask you, Father, knowing that you are the source of all these things. And I pray that your words will reach our hearts and we will be even more grateful in our attitudes and actions. In Jesus' name, pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dwight. Appreciate that. <clears throat> Thank you, Bill, as well. Uh, we are going to continue. We're in a review period <clears throat> of John chapter 17. And We've taken some time to go through a lot of these verses that we had already gone through. So hopefully we're only looking at the highlights. We're not saying that 
This is everything we taught. <clears throat> we covered a lot of detail. You should have all the notes from John chapter 14 through 17. So those four chapters were, all of them were important as we went through them. But I feel like this John 17 review is the cap of all of it and all that we covered. So we're going to use that as the entire four chapter review as well. Let's go there. <clears throat> John chapter 17, you have notes. Uh, it started on 11 7 21. It ended at 10 22. As we have come to the end of this discourse, we have taken time to investigate the words of our Lord. What we find most interesting is that in, in this discourse, it covers a period where we have a dispensational change. Jesus is busy preparing the disciples for this new age. He did not tell everything there was to tell. He said, quote, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear, unquote. Well, Pentecost came and we did have major change, just as Jesus prophesied. There were many classic verses, and we got a chance to see them up close and personal. More importantly, my prayer is that we were true to the text, in context, and correctly handled the word of truth. Let us look at some of the highlights we discussed in chapter 17. Well, we've been looking at them for the past few weeks, so we're going to continue uh, in our outline at a point where we're at John chapter 15, uh, John chapter 17, 15 through 19. We covered some of this already. Uh, I'm going to skip down to point number four. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. So this is where we are. Um, we're going to cover this thought uh, in our notes. First thought, uh, to note the Mosaic Law is not truth. Now some of this is recap as well. <clears throat> is not the truth. Uh, I'm sorry, it is truth, but it is not the hidden truth of which Jesus is praying that we be sanctified. Because He's not trying to reinforce uh, Israel with those disciples. He has a new thought. He knows that the spirit of truth is coming. He knows that this new dispensation is dawning uh, just 50 days from now. So he's very careful to note what this truth is all about. When he comes, he will, uh, you know, he this, these are some of the things the spirit of truth will do. He, when the Spirit of Truth comes, when He comes, Jesus emphasized that quite a few times throughout the four uh, chapters. And so now we are at this point where we understand <clears throat> that this truth is coming and that this truth is going to be the foundation of our understanding. 1 Corinthians 2.7, this is point B, no, we declare God's wisdom a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. What a intriguing verse. All you gotta do is think about that. What should we be talking about? There is this wisdom. It was hidden. 
And it was for us. It was destined for our glory before time began, says the Apostle Paul. So, wow. There could be much said about that verse. I think we covered a lot of it last time. Uh, Point C. We have been given the spirit of truth in this age so that we may understand what God has freely given us. So, we already saw this in John 16, 13 and 1 Corinthians 2 and 12 where you know all of this is laid out for us uh, about this new age and this new information that is a part of who so so there's several things that we think about when we talk about the mystery it is a new dispensation right this was a hidden dispensation it wasn't revealed to the old testament not only that but this new uh creation in Christ, who we are in Christ. We sort of alluded to it in the thought of the week. We talked about this one new man that was created out of the two. This new creation is a part of who we are. Then part of that is this new information that we have is never before seen information, this new area of understanding that was hid in God. We call it the the wisdom that God destined for our glory before time began, right? So we still have the gospel. The gospel is the same in every age. It's even the same in our age. But uh, what's different is what we are called to after the gospel. So there's those factors about the mystery that we need to make sure we understand. Uh, And lastly, lastly speaking, is our destiny. Our destiny was not revealed, right? The inheritance that Israel had was revealed. It was the land grant and what God would do and and so forth and so on. But ours is a new destiny God has prepared. He talks about the riches of his glorious grace and, um, you know, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge that are ours and are uniting with the person of Christ and how we share in everything he has, and, 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 and that is a part of our destiny as well. So those four things comprise of what the mystery is, just to go over them again. One is uh, the fact that there was this new age that is joining, so this new dispensation that was hidden. But So that's one. Two, what God made of us, well, he, by uniting us to the person of Christ, we are new. We are a new uh, creation in Christ, right? So never before seen. We're new. So that's new. And then three, what we think is new. The doctrines that we have were not revealed to Israel. They were hidden from uh, Israel, from Gentiles. They were hid from angels. They were hid in God, kept hidden in God. And then four is our destiny, right? Those four things comprise of who we are, what is our destiny, the times in which, in which we live, right? And the, what we are to think in this age as well. <clears throat> so when Jesus talks about the truth, sanctify them by the truth, your word is truth. Right? So we wanted, to <clears throat> we wanted to really call out that so that it would be special what Jesus is saying here, because we know that he's preparing uh, the church, right? He's, he's 
speaking about the introduction of the church. He talks to the Father. All the verses we already covered, we can't recover them again uh, or, or talk about them in more detail because it's just too much detail. <clears throat> and this is why these are just the highlights. But, but we stop here at the word is truth because we pick that as the name of our church so that it would call out this truth. It would call out because it says that we ought to be sanctified by means of this truth. And sanctified means to be set apart unto God for his special purposes, right? To, for God to, to use us for this particular purpose. And that is the purpose we're here, for this particular truth. That is why we exist and God called us to this place. So, um, <clears throat> so he is, these are things that God has freely given us. We covered that point D. This is 4D in our notes. Just as Israel was recognized by the Mosaic law, the church is recognized by the truth according to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past. That's uh, Romans 16 and 25. So the church is, uh, is similar to what we, uh, it's a calling. Israel was called, right? They were elected, foreknown, predestined, right? But what, for what, right? For not the same purpose as the church. God repurposed those same words and he repurposed, uh, or he came, he, he has a new purpose that he's demonstrating. Now he repurposed, but he has a new purpose he's demonstrating in the church that was hidden. We can't say it's the same purpose of Israel, otherwise he would have just said, yeah. But he hid this from Israel. So it's a new purpose. We are called, chosen, foreknown, all that, predestined, because God saw us from eternity past as his eternal destiny what he was going to do through the church. All right. So point D, sanctification. Uh, oh, or that was, I'm sorry, that was point D of four. Point E, the Mosaic law is the revelation of God. It is truth. We must acknowledge that. <clears throat> However, it was not destined for our glory before time began. Well, there it is. First Corinthians 2, 7. The, this information was destined for our glory before time began. It was hidden from Israel, but it is available to us. So while we have the Mosaic Law, we can review the Mosaic Law. It wasn't for us. We're not under it <clears throat> as a way of life. We're, we, we do not take our precedence from the Mosaic Law. We have our precedence from this New Age information that not only defines us, our age, our destiny, right? All, what we are to think, right? it defines us in all of those ways that are new and unique, which would corroborate who we are. Point, that's point E. So we're going to go to number five, and under this section, it is, As you have sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. So we are here, this is point A, we are under a plan, a mission. That's the way Jesus sees this. We're not just here marking time or to, or to, to uh, run in place. We're here, we have a mission. Just 
if we were to think about how Christ is saying, as you have sent me into the world, well, Christ didn't just come here to meander. To He knew that when he hit the ground, he had to be running. He had to focus on his destiny. He had to, not only was all his trust in the Father and the Father's plan, and he said as much throughout his ministry, but he knew that he was here for a specific purpose. Now, obviously, we're not here to die for the sins of the world and to be judged and all that. That was his plan. Only he could fulfill that as the last Adam. We couldn't do that. But we're here under a mission as well. <clears throat> and we should recognize that the world is not our home. Plenty of times already in the context, he has already told us, they are not of the world any more than I am of it. Right? Even as I am not of it, they are not of the world. We ought to know that. So why are we here? We are set apart unto God for this special purpose. And what is that? That is the mystery. We're here because of the mystery, because of this newly revealed information that has been given in this world. And if, if we don't see that, if we miss this somehow, I mean, we have the introduction uh, by all of the things Jesus has said to prepare the church for what's coming. So Jesus mapped it. I said, this is what's going to happen. When the Spirit comes, when the Spirit comes, when the Spirit comes. He mapped it out for us. Now it came, the Spirit came, and then uh, Pentecost was in full swing. So we look at Acts, and then we have all the epistles, and we even have Revelation to finish the orientation of what's going to happen as this new dispensation has landed in our laps. <clears throat> so this is important for us. right? We saw it all, and we should see ourselves in the world as mission-oriented, just like Paul and others have. Right? So we're here under a plan. And point B, Jesus was dedicated to his purpose. Uh, so should we be, right? And the, the, this thought here comes as we are thinking about, hold on, let me go to John 7, uh, yeah, so 17. And this point here where Jesus says, for them I sanctify myself that they too may be sanctified. So when Jesus says he sanctifies himself, he's recognizing that he's here for a purpose and that he is dedicating, committing himself to what the Father chose him for. And we recognize that Jesus is the Christ and he, he fulfills the salvation plan, but there's other things that are going on. Like I said, the Father's eternal purpose. So Jesus recognizes his role in that, and he's committed to, to that. And what is that? Bringing these many sons into glory. So that is important for Jesus. And so it's important for us as well, for us to see Jesus' motivation and dedication to the plan, to the Father's plan. We are to see our motivation and dedication to the Father's plan. That's important. Uh, point, point, that was point B. And I, I did reference Philippians 2.5, which, which says, being 
found in fashion as a man. Uh, he uh, humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. What did Christ realize? What did he come to understand once his feet were on the ground? He humbled himself, became obedient to the Father's plan. That's the thought of how we ought to handle our calling as well. First, it requires great humility. Why? Because we're talking about something that is never before seen, something that is newly revealed. So not only do we have everything to learn when it comes to who we are in Christ, all those things I mentioned, those four things, that takes humility. Because the things we're learning are not religious things that were of old or the way we did it in the past. This is something different. We're not Israel. We're not Gentiles. We're something new. How do we respond to that? What do we do? What's, what's our modus operandi in this life? We have to learn. We, and it takes tremendous humility. And so much so that when we talk about maturity... It is not people who are arrogant and walking around with their chest stuck out. It's about people who, who have the most humility and have allowed God to teach them and guide them along the way <clears throat> so that they could get to these places where God is able to reveal the deep things of God to them. It is not a matter of, well, I know more scriptures than you know. It's more about humility. Because when we come into this new age, listen, if God hid this from ages and past generations and it is now revealed in Christ, we got to stop and just say, put aside everything we learned, everything we thought we knew. And we got to focus now on this new revelation. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you that is the mystery, right? Paul says that in Ephesians 2, uh, 3, 2 through 4. <clears throat> so that is what, what, why we need humility. That's why Philippians 2, 5 is important. Christ had to have it so that he can obey the Father's plan. We have to have it so that we can fulfill the call that he has over our lives. Point C, this sanctification is not for Israel but exclusively for the church. <clears throat> and that's what Jesus is saying. He set himself apart unto this because it was unique. It was for us. 17.9, go back and it says, I pray for them. Who is he praying for? The disciples. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. And this is specifically the foundation of the church that he said he would build. On this rock, I will build my church. And, and sure enough, he is focused on that, especially here in this chapter. It is not for Israel. If it were for Israel, it would have been revealed to Israel, but it wasn't. It was hidden at the time Israel was in play. Point D. Sanctification has positional truth for everyone as well as experiential truth as we uh, walk in this truth. This is 
really true for a lot of things when it comes to the spiritual life. God has already positionally put us in those positions. Right. 1 Corinthians 6.11 is, is a, a verse I'm using here. Why do I use this one? It's interesting. <clears throat> right? So listen to, if we, we, we read verse 10, it says, 1 Corinthians 6.10 says, Nor these, well, we should go back to 9. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither sexually immoral nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. Or we should say, have an inheritance in the kingdom of God. Verse 11. <clears throat> Here's the verse. And such, and that is what some of you, listen, and such, that's King James, but this is NIV. And that is what some of you were. Now, why does Paul have to say all of this? Because the Corinthians were still involved in such things. They were. But notice what Paul is saying here. And that is what some of you were. But let's talk about what you are. You, but you were washed. You were sanctified. So the Corinthians were already sanctified positionally you were justified in the name of the lord jesus christ by the spirit of our god notice the work god did in these corinthians but you know what they didn't know it they didn't know that god had done this work in them but they needed to know it they needed to understand it so that they could order their lives according to what god has done so so sanctification has positional aspects to it. Corinthians were sanctified. God set them apart when he united them to the person of Christ. He already did all this. But now the injunction or the instruction for them is that they understand it and they begin to walk according to it. <clears throat> sort of like Paul says, reckon yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin and alive to Jesus, you know, to God. Through Jesus Christ. Right? Well, well I didn't, people didn't know they were dead. They didn't know that they were taken out of Adam. They didn't know all that. But they once they do know it, he's saying, orient to this. Reckon. Think about yourselves according to this new way of thinking. Because this is the reality. This is who you are. Some people don't understand positional and experiential sanctification. Positional sanctification happens the moment we believe in Christ. We are sanctified, just like Paul said here in 1 Corinthians 6.11. It's done. And, but then <clears throat> there is experiential sanctification, which happens as we orient to what God has called us to in Christ. We begin to walk according to those things. So another way to look at it is righteousness, right? So we are justified. He says, this is another thing he says here. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, justification means that we have received the righteousness of God imputed to our account. And so the justice of God says, justified. That's, what, that's a verdict from the justice of God. It says the fact that you have that righteousness, justified. 
Now, it doesn't mean that you walk perfectly according to that righteousness. It doesn't mean that, that you live up to what God has credited to you. But it means that you have the opportunity to walk in righteousness, to walk according to God's standards. Now, God, the Holy Spirit has to teach you how to do that. It's not automatic. You have to learn it. But so you could see that being justified has positional uh, ramifications as well as the opportunity for spiritual uh, experiential ramifications. You can walk in righteousness. You can walk in that justification that God has already declared you to be. <clears throat> so that's important to understand uh, when we think about w whether it's positional or obviously you will see in scripture where it says that you are sanctified, as in this case. Obviously the Corinthians had problems. Paul's not saying they were walking perfectly. <laughs> that wasn't the case. He's saying though, but positionally, that's who they are in Christ. And that's what they need to recognize so that they can orient to it. So what a difference we have from the Mosaic Law. What a difference. So it's exclusively for the church, as we said. And then uh, John 17, 17 through 19. I think we're, we're at those verses right now, so we're not going to go over that. Point E, this is 5E, love is the motivation for sanctification. <clears throat> this understanding of love. So listen, everything has to be redefined, especially love, because our <clears throat> motivation for doing the things we do is important. We can't just say, well, have love for that. What does it mean to have love? It means we're devoted to this and we're committed to this. We have obedience to the truth, right? And so that is exactly what it says. Sanctify them by means of the truth. Your word is truth. Now that, sanct that is positional as well as experiential, right? We ought to be set apart by means of the truth. What's the truth? Your word is truth. So we ought to order our lives according to the new truth that God has for us. It doesn't mean we automatically uh, are sanctified according to it, but the goal is that we walk according to those important matters that God has revealed to us in this age. So sanctification, again, has experiential and positional understanding. So uh, love gives us the motivation, the proper motivation for uh, fulfilling sanctification. All right, we may know that God has set us apart and uh, unto this new truth and all those things we discussed, but how do we, you know, how do we begin to orient to that? Well, love comes into play because the Holy Spirit sheds that love abroad in our hearts so that we have the proper motivation of devotion, commitment, and obedience to the truth. So that obedience is important. Christ had humility, and then what did he do? He was obedient to the Father's plan. Once he understand, understood what the plan was, 
then he was able to have the proper obedience, right? We don't want to just say, I want to be obedient. I just want to be obedient. Well, you may just go back to the Mosaic Law and be obedient to some of the things that you find there. But that's not being obedient to what God has called us. So we're not under the law. So your obedience must have the proper commitment and direction, and that is the devotion. Must have the proper. Just, just say I love, <laughs> as a general, we have more definition when it comes to what do we love. Christ says, I love the Father, and I do exactly as the Father has commanded me. That's John 14, 31. We, we know now of what that means because Christ understood exactly what the Father wanted him to do. He didn't say, by the way, what is your plan, Father? What do you want me to do? He knew what the Father wanted him to do first. Then he was able to walk into it. So humility comes before uh, our obedience. That's important to note. So then, there's a... Uh, that was that was point number. There's a lot of points, but we we can't cover them all. But we're gonna move on, right? We got a lot more to cover, but we're coming to the end of this. So uh, just to know, John seventeen twenty through twenty three. Let's look at that. We're gonna move to the next section, John seventeen twenty through twenty three. So it says, "My prayer is not." For them alone, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me so that, so, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know <clears throat> that you have sent me and I have loved them even as you have loved me. So that's John 17, 20 through 23. Wow, there's no way I can cover all that, but we're going to try to uh, deal with some of this. <clears throat> wow, there's, there's a lot in this. So let's dig in. Point one, Jesus' prayer is not for the chosen. It is not for the chosen disciples only. So this is key. I mean, when we got to this point, I remember how important it was for us to turn the, the corner. Because he had been dealing with the disciples. Right? And so the them referred to the disciples that he had in context. I am not praying for them alone, right? Uh, or when he says, uh, they are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Right? Uh, so all those pronouns referred to the disciples. And we could say that in context. But what we are to understand is that it, th those pronouns were not just for the disciples. Some of it specifically referred to them. Like Jesus said, yeah, I have given them your word. They heard you. They, they, they believed. I know they believed. You know it now that they have believed and what you, you know, they accepted what you said. 
Right, so that specifically refers to those disciples. But remember, the disciples are part of the foundation of the church that Jesus Christ was building. So, but then this verse takes that whole thing and turns it and says, you know what, I'm not just talking about them alone. <laughs> so the first point, them alone. Uh, or, or let's just, point number one, Jesus' prayer is not for the chosen disciples only. Our integration into, it is our integration into this new age. So the disciples were the foundation of it, but for Christ to say in verse 20, my prayer is not for them alone, I pray also, also for those who will believe in me through their message. Now their message, he's going to tell us what their message is in just a second. And what are the key things to help you understand what their message is. But notice the prayer includes us. And if you don't stop right here in verse 20 and recognize that this is about you. Because you believed through their message. This is about us. It's not just you, it's us. All of us in this age who believe in Christ. We are, just like it says, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have lost their power. New things have come. This is the truth about us. If you don't stop and recognize that this refers to you. You might have read the Mosaic Law or David or, or Daniel or uh, Genesis and all those scriptures you might have read and understood and gotten and gleaned information from them. But you, you have to know those scriptures are good to know about who God is and what he did and how he brought Israel on board, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. But they are not referring to you. These passages refer direct to us, directly. There's no way around this. And you should stop and think about that. Even 2,000 and some years ago when Jesus was here, he didn't just talk about what's coming for Israel, you know, the Beatitudes, you know, when, when the... You know, this new age comes, it won't be this, it won't be that, it will be this, it will be that. But here, he's talking about us in this new age. And I don't know how you get past that. Some of the profound things he's already said about the disciples and their establishment in this new age, you've got to really stop and think about it. So point A is them alone. I am not talking about them alone. Because there's no them without us. The disciples would later be the apostles and in the foundation of the church, Ephesians 2.20. We have read it a lot of times. We don't have to go back there again and read it to establish that the disciples are in the foundation. Point B, all of them didn't say some of them, all of them, speaks of those in this age 
with the same positional spiritual dynamic. So it gives a description. So it's not just say, yeah, just believers of all ages. This is believers of all times are saved. The family of those who are... No, he's saying specifically us. And then he goes in more. He gives more evidence. He goes into the dynamics of what makes up our spiritual lives in this age. It is different from what's happening in Israel. Completely but he gives us this information up front so that we understand. Right? These, these are what we might call the spiritual badges of those who are in the church age. How do we identify? Well, these are the things that we are used to identify us. Now, I can't see, you can't look at me and see the badge on me. It's not something you can visibly see. And we used to have to wear badges at work, right? had the fact that you worked there, what your name was. The fact that you had that badge had to be issued to you. You know, you couldn't just have a badge. You had to be working there. And it would allow you to get indoors, get through the gate, right? And our spiritual badge allows us this entrance into the church. It, it Not only does it allow us entrance into the church, it identifies us as being in the church. That's important to know. So it speaks <clears throat> of the spiritual dynamics that are available. I mean, it's one thing for Christ to say, yeah, they would all be this, they would all, but he's saying specifically what's about them. Let's keep going. Okay, so point C, I think, is where we are. One C. That... Believe in me through their message. And this obviously would be after Pentecost. So so I'm not praying for them alone, but for those who will believe in me through their message. Uh, so believe in me is important because that refers to salvation. Right? You, you believe in Christ, you have eternal life. And, and the fact that you believe in Christ says that Everybody who's in the, this new age, who is in this church that Christ is referring to, would have to come this way. They have to believe. What if they don't believe? Then they're not in. This is not a, about them. There were lots of people who didn't believe in Christ in the time in which they lived. But here is specific information of this body of people that's distinguished, that have these spiritual dynamics, and that come through the door through the disciples' message. So it is a unique message. Now we know, we know that people who had believed in Christ and were the recipients of this new age, you could even point to the disciples, because all of them believed in Christ before the new age dawned. And in fact, all these spiritual dynamics that Jesus is talking about did not even happen for the disciples yet. Right? It didn't happen for them as well. Right? It's not to say, well, the disciples have this now because Jesus said it. And, and when we come, we'll have it when we believe in, in Christ through their message. No. 
The disciples didn't even have it yet. They had to wait until Pentecost in order for the Spirit to come and baptize them into the body of Christ. And there were other assets that were also uh, conferred upon these individuals. So all of this, and what I like about it, when it says all of them, he didn't say that the disciples have some information and you who just are the church people have others, other information that is available to you. All of us have the same spiritual dynamics as, as Christ has. Christ had this information going uh, with him and the Father, these unique things that we read about in the discourse. Now Jesus is saying, you disciples are going to have it. And not only will it be the disciples, but those who believe in me through their message. Just note, these spiritual dynamics did not happen for people in Israel. It did not. It was, it was hidden from them. But they happen for us in this age. So we got to study and understand, be familiar with all of these things to an extent that we understand them. Because this is now, if we are to use this metaphor, our DNA in this age. If you don't understand these things, then you, you miss out on the understanding of what God has made of us, what he did which also relates back to his will and his eternal purpose. So you kind of look at that as not important when God, he, it was this huge reveal for God. He's like, I'm not telling, I'm going to tell everybody this and I'm going to reveal it. it. I hid this in me before I even created all things. And now I'm going to, this huge reveal of my heart to the world, to the angels, to all rational beings, and for some, it does not move the needle at all. But for God, it was huge. So we should really sit up and take notice here. So all of them speaks that we all have the same spiritual, positional dynamics that the disciples have. And they're in the foundation. You would, they have titles such as apostles, prophets, and so forth. But we don't have such titles, but they did. But just note, the same spiritual dynamics that they had are what we have. All of them may be one. All right. So let's go to point two, verse 21. Let's go to it. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me. And I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Wow, how can I sum all that up in three points? <laughs> I can't. So uh, to really get to the bottom of all of this, you would have to go not only to the notes, but to the tapes, to the recordings. It's no tapes, just recordings. That's where you would get the fullness of what we're talking about. So, But let's summarize it here. It's a lot in that verse. Point A, we will all be one because of the work of the spirit of truth. <clears throat> and uh, Jesus kept referring to this. When he, the spirit, comes, he will do this. When he comes, he will 
bring back to your remembrance everything I said. When he comes, this will be the reality. He will, he, he will, I got much more to tell you, more than you can now bear, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, right, this is when the church age will be fully in gear, right? God, Jesus is just talking about it. It is to come. But at Pentecost, the spirit of truth came. This new age began. It dawned on the world. <clears throat> so what do we mean by because of the work of the Spirit of Truth? It is the baptism of the Spirit and with all of the other accompanying things that happen in this age. I characterize them as five things from the Spirit of Truth. One, he baptizes you. Two, he indwells every believer, makes their body a temple. Three, he fills every believer. That has to do with the teaching ministry of the Spirit, and the influence over our lives so that we can have not only the understanding of these things, but the power to walk in them. Four, the, uh, the sealing ministry of the Spirit, which is where the Spirit not only guarantees that we are this new age and entity unto God. This, like we talked about, one new man, right? This new age, new entity, new destiny, right? New dispensation, all of these things. But he seals us, guaranteeing our inheritance. Like God is 100% behind this age. In fact, we already said it is his highest priority, highest priority. And then uh, he gifts everyone, he gives each of us a spiritual gift so that we can contribute to the body of Christ. So, so this is all important um, when we talk about the ministries of the Spirit, right? I tried to explain some of them, but the one I should have been explaining is the baptism of the Spirit, which is the, the one that unites us to the person of Christ. And, and, and we now are identified with him and everything he has, right? So we talk about everything he has. Well, what, what does he have? Well, the first thing that is mentioned about what he has is his relationships, right? Christ constantly talked about, do you, you know the Father? For now on, you do know him. Uh, and then Philip said, well, Father, show us the Father. We don't know what you're talking about. Show us the Father. That'll be enough for us. If you just show them, right? Christ says, haven't I been with you this long and you still don't know me, Philip? And so Christ had this relationship going on within him. So the first thing that we notice as a badge of honor for us, we should say, is that Christ is sharing his relationship that he had with the Father. Let's say he has with the Father, with us. What does it say? That all of them, not just the disciples, could be one. He says that all of them, everybody in this age, has the same spiritual dynamics. I made that point already. Can't make it enough. <laughs> but, but just as you are in me and I am in you. Well, he's talking to the Father. So, so, so yeah, that dynamic that's going on inside of Christ, he's saying, will be true of all of us. May they also be in us. 
so that the world may believe that you sent me. Huh. So we'll be one because of the work of the spirit of truth. B, the term one is described for us, right? So you could say that all of them may be one, just like Israel, <laughs> or one. One, because we have the same, you know, we belong to the same local church. One, because, no, whatever one is, it is described for us in the word. We don't have to make it up, right? Your interpretation is, have to, you're going to have to leave it aside and you have to defer to what God has said. This verse is detailed. It's not just... Yeah, that they may be one and leaves it at that. So now we could say, well, one means this or one means that. No, he gives us exactly what he means so that we walk away with the proper understanding. He says, just as, in the same way as, you are in me and I am in you. Wow, that's oneness. That's the oneness that accompanies our spiritual life. Every one of us. Now, some of us, now, obviously, this is positional. Jesus not only has these dynamics, but he is walking in them experientially. So, for us, we'll get these things, but they'll be positional at first. We'll have to grow into the place where they become experiential in our lives. Same thing we talked about earlier. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. So this spiritual dynamic I call, we come up with other terms. Don't think we're stuck on these. But this is a part of our spiritual lives that Jesus Christ is pointing out that will signify unity or the oneness that we have. He explains what that is, as opposed to leaving it to us, our own interpretation. Point C, the same relationship displayed by Jesus and the Father would be standard for everyone in the church, positionally, with the opportunity to be experiential. I think I explained the whole thing already. <laughs> I knew where I was going with this thought. And there's much more that could be said and taught by the results of the baptism of the Spirit. That, that first thing that happens to us when we think about uh, the work of the Spirit. The baptism of the Spirit is the most, uh, all of them are important. But that one is what takes us out of Adam. It takes us out of this world and unites us to the person of Christ. We are baptized into Christ when? In his death, in his burial. That is separation from this world. Christ is no longer in this world. He is separated from it. And that's where we're united to him, in his death and burial. And then it says, in his resurrection. So we went through that process just for Christ to be able to fully identify uh, where he is not of this world and he is identified with this new purpose and he's now in heaven living a different life. He had to go through death, burial, and resurrection. 
we go through that process by means of what the Holy Spirit takes us through. When we believe in Christ, automatically things are going on behind the scenes that we don't realize. This is what God is doing in this age. Right? He has a purpose. Now, of course, we, we're sort of unsuspecting, unknowing. What do we do? We believed in Christ. We believed on him. That's it. And God does the rest. He does the work, the heart, the heavy lifting. He does it. So uh, those are three points to consider. We'll stop and pause at, those, at this juncture because of time. And we'll pick up next week. We may be able to finish everything. I don't know. No, I doubt it. But we'll take our time. But I'm enjoying going through some of these highlights. It helps us remember what we did cover, some of the things we did talk about, and even add some, some understanding on top of that. So let's, um, we, we, we will pick up next week right here, and we will get right to it. So we'll be dealing with some of the, these doctrines that refer to our heritage in Christ. Let's bow our heads and as we close. Thank you, Father, as we have covered this information in detail. We thank you for calling us in this, to this particular uh, point in human history where we are those sons. We are one as you are one with the Father and that you have brought us into this relationship that you have in this special age. We thank you, Father. As we have come through the period of thanksgiving, we have this thanksgiving in our hearts of what you have made of us, what your eternal purpose is, the fact that uh, it was hidden from ages and past generations, but it has now been revealed. And we are the recipients of that information. So it just, we can't pay you for it. We can't. We don't owe you for it. Uh, all we can do is be thankful and appreciative of what you have done in us. So we, as we think about these verses, important verses that speak of us, specifically us, we pray that you will challenge us to set aside religious training that we had, just like the disciples had to do that we put aside uh, all of the interpretations that we might be tempted to think and that we would allow you to tell us and that we would have the humility to just listen to you and you tell us what you want us to be or who we are in Christ. So we thank you for this group we have, Father, and the opportunity to be able to speak about these things. It is precious. It, it is valuable. We pray, Father, that you would protect us in this world. All of this we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.